Dior Talks. The Femil case uh, for me is about changing the way we present women in fashion. More like a subject, not uh, as an object. The women are represented in many different ways, not only one way. That is very important for me. It's also what I try to make with my work in Dior. There are many elements in the female case. In 1990, Naomi Wolf writes in The Beauty Myth that once we break through and change the rules, so our sense of our own beauty cannot be shaken, sing that beauty and dress it up and flaunt it and revel in it. Today's guest on Dior Talks has given us radical ideas about beauty and femininity for more than 40 years. Bettina Reims is as known for her high-octane fashion and advertising images as she is for her highly charged portraits of prisoners and striptease artists. Reims is interested in the politics of looking. What does it mean to be looked at as a woman? And what does it mean to be a woman who looks at another woman? I'm Charlotte Janssen, a journalist and the author of Girl on Girl, a book exploring photography in the age of the female gay. You're listening to Dual Talks, Conversations on the Female Gaze. You've been photographing women for what, 40 years? 40 now? years, yeah. Why 40 years. Do you, why do you photograph women? Why are you interested in photographing women? Well, this is a question that I've been asked the most, and I haven't yet found an answer. It just, I knew the minute I held a camera in my hand... It was probably 1978 or something like middle age. But I wanted to see women taking off their clothes. But that's history. That's such a long time ago. But um, somebody wrote as a joke, but as time goes by, I think it's not a joke, that I'm doing self-portraits. You know, by through my work and through my photography and throughout the years, I've been learning more and more about myself and and discovering things at the same time. I mean, this sounds a bit narcissistic, but at the same time, I've discovered what it was to be a woman. Um, What are the strengths and the weaknesses and the fragility and how how to gather all this together and, and... and get something fantastic out of it. And I mean, as you say, you've always been interested in women and it's 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 interesting as well to hear you say that it kind of, you've come to this realisation that it's in some way a self-portrait because I think, you know, I believe that all art to some extent is a reflection of the self or is a self-portrait. You know, it has to come from that kind of depth, you know, inner depth, I think. Um but you've always been interested in women and, and from the very start in all kinds of women. So you're known, of course, for photographing some of the you know, world's most beautiful and famous women. But you've also photographed you know, women in different places, in different contexts. Can we discuss a little bit the genesis of your book, um, Fe- Female Trouble, which came out in 1989, really ahead of its time in a lot of ways? How radical was that book when it came out and what was the reaction to it when it when it was published? When it was published was after the pictures were done and showed already. Um, but from the first days, um, it, it was a strange thing. For the, the beginning of my career, I had feminists against me. 
Um, I, I was sued by a feminist group in Germany who managed to get some posters banned from the street in, I think it was Frankfurt or whatever. And at first, women would say that I photograph women the way men would do it. So you see, back in the early 80s or the late 70s, being a woman photographer, maybe we were five in the world, maybe six. And if if you were a woman taking pictures, it had to show that you were a woman. You know, it was like you had to photograph the way you could knit or embroider. It was always full of veils and, and you know, soft light and soft... And I came, I arrived there with brutality in a way. The brutality left afterwards and was replaced by other things and other feelings. But I started in a very brutal way, you know, taking photographs of women frontally looking at me, being strong and and sometimes laughing and sometimes crying, but with real, real emotions. And... Uh, and that scared people at first. They said, you know, how can a woman take that kind of pictures? And the funny thing is that 20 years later, I've become, you know, one of the first stupidly so-called feminist artists or whatever. But, but it, there was a shift from the moment people started to understand my work, that it was not about nudity, that it was not about taking off their clothes, that it was not about eroticism or something like that. It, it was elsewhere. It was elsewhere. And even some of the projects like Chambre Clothes or like, you know, the subject was a man asking a woman to take off their clothes. I mean, it could be voyeurism, but it was never about erotism or sensuality. That was not the purpose. Yeah, absolutely. And But I think, you know, it's the discourse around your work has kind of shifted, whereas you've been, you've been doing the same thing, but people didn't understand that. And we have different kind of tools, I guess, now to understand what it is you were doing then. Um, you see, what it, is, what it is to be an artist, in a way... I think Andy Wall said that, but I mean, anybody can say that. It's to be ahead of your time. It's to open doors that were still closed. And whether, you know, I did, I did an art project in color, asking women to take off their clothes, or, be, or the work I did on gender back in 1986 when we were, or 1988, but we were in the middle of AIDS. And, and you know, I've, I've opened doors I probably was not the one who benefited more because maybe it was too early, but but I have opened doors and that's my my pride. If I have to, you know, to keep something um, from this career which now has slowed down, I've slowed down not because of the virus. I slowed down because of life, but um, I did open doors before other people open them taking photographs and that's that's what we're here for and speaking of memorable images I think for me you know speaking of that iconic image of Mar Marilyn Monroe I think one of yours uh, your images is that for me is on the same level as that as uh, you know that will remain in our kind of visual history and our cultural history is the picture you took in in the mid-90s of Monica Bellucci who also was kind of a, the I guess in some ways the peak of her career at that point and can we just unpack that image a little bit that portrait so she's 
got these I mean it's it's burnt in my memory I don't even have to look at it to to reference it it's just the red color like you say that almost brutal oh, right um, that one yeah that almost kind of brutal brazen you know sexuality but also you know it's it's something complicated and it's a mixture of things the details you know she's wearing this red leather dress and these red nails she has these red nails but then there's the ketchup that she's kind of putting on this plate of pasta so it's it's kind of playing with different um you know visual cues I guess but almost pushing it like so far um when I work on the when I work on the story whether it's fashion, I haven't done that much, but I've done quite a bit too, or whether it's a story with a, with a celebrity. Um, I have this, you know, I, I pull this thread, um, which is something to start with, which is something that I can talk to my team about, you know, like I knew we were going to a blue apartment because I saw pictures of the location and I, I, looked at the styling and I saw this red dress and I thought right away red dress she's Italian let's you know let's play around that the kitchen was the only possible place to photograph because it just happened that the apartment was not good that the place was too small and that I hadn't checked it out and uh, you know we were in the kitchen and Monica was wearing this red dress so I said come on let's get some pasta she's Italian you know it was like a game around the Italian actresses of the 50s or something like a Sophia Loren movie and and it just happened like that and she loved it you see we move along I mean there's there's a place where it starts and a place where it ends and and in the meantime the sessions are quite long, you know, we would take 10 different pictures in a day or something. And as it builds up, the obvious image comes. Let's come back a little bit to your ideas about sort of feminism and, and why your work was so pioneering, you know, for people that might be listening to this and not know, you know, or understand, you know, the full kind of complexity of, of your work and what you've done. I think, you know, your images, especially in the 80s and 90s, um, were you know looking at them without any context or without any understanding they are, they are for me they're very they are very sexy they're very beautiful images how does that then go together with your ideas about women and your kind of ways of representing feminism and you know in a way it's a precursor or you know you were the, the first as you said to kind of understand that you can be empowered and kind of reclaim and own your sexuality and be, you know, even have an objectifying gaze to a certain extent. Um, but, it's, I mean, is that how you see it? Do you see these images as, as beautiful and as kind of sexy? And can people enjoy them in that way? They have to be beautiful and they have to be bold at the same time. But they have to be beautiful because I'm working with, with this, these women. I mean, they are my partners in crime that day. So I want to make them happy. At the same time, sometimes they're not so happy. They think, you know, why don't I smile on those pictures? But in the same time, the evolving of the day, how would I say that? The chemin, uh, the past that we're, what, that we're you know, traveling together uh, during that day goes through a lot of emotions, a lot. It's... It's fun. It's it's exciting, and 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 the women have to look beautiful because, you know, what does an artist want at the end of the day? 
They want to be loved. You have to realize something. We are not so sure of ourselves. We're not, I mean, although we can brag and say, you know, um, we're very insecure. So I want these women to love me. I want them to love me, but I want my, I don't want to lose my thread. I mean, I'm not giving in. I, I, I'm not fighting for that pretty picture. I'm, I'm, I want to keep it on the edge. It's like when you're at the top of a cliff, you know, you walk step by step at the top of that cliff, but there's a chance you will fall on the other side. And my thing is to walk on a thin line, but never to fall, because if I fall, it becomes sexy and cheap and vulgar. And that's not what it is about, and that's not the goal of it. The thing is, in my career, there's always been two roads. I've always done commercial work, and that's, you know, that made the studio live, and I so also loved it. But I've also always followed my own projects. You know, I would work one or two years on, on, you know, doing everyday work. And then I would stop for six months or a year and get involved in a project. Um, this is, this at that time, if you go back to the early 80s, was a tricky road to go. Because in France, the museum people would say, she's a commercial photographer. And, and in the advertising agencies, they would say, she's an artist. She's going to be, you know, she's going to annoy us or something. Um, so I've also used some of my most commercial photographs. Let's say an album cover with Madonna became an iconic image in museums all over the world. So I've, I, I liked to interfere with those rules, which today is obvious. I mean, everybody does commission work and put them up on museum walls. But that time, it was totally forbidden. There was, you know, there was a line that you were not supposed to cross. I was thinking actually about um, another photographer that you had contact with. So you had a, a long friendship with Helmut Newton. And well, I was reading the story of how you met and, and actually he approached you because he saw one of your works is that right could you tell me how you met and what his you know what his influence or what your relationship was like a long long time ago in the early 80s um he had seen um a story or some pictures that were published in egoist which was a very luxurious trendy magazine at the time beautiful big format black and white and helmut was their main photographer and I had this first portfolio published. My work had never been published before. I'd been a photographer for six months or so, maybe a year. And he said, I should meet this woman. It's interesting. And I became, I became, he became my master, my teacher. I would see him every Thursday when he was in Paris, go to dinner and with June and Helmut. And he would show me his work and showed me the layout of the books that he was preparing. Um, you've also done a lot of work, um, again, very much ahead of its time, considering, you know, how much we are addressing and, and talking about this subject now, but you photographed the transgender community um, already in the 90s. You, you did a project um, with transgender people. Yeah, and then you came back to, to that again in 2011, more recently. So... Uh, 
how did the sort of reaction to that work change in that two decade gap and and how did you initially become interested in that subject because you went into the Bois de Boulogne to to to, to find some subjects for that um, first right. project. Right. It, it started before that project. It started with a project I did called The Modern Lovers, which became sort of an iconic work. I, I photograph young androgynous people and try to try to understand what sexuality meant to teenagers and young adults who were confronted with AIDS and who couldn't live a normal sexuality like the one we could live in the 60s and the 70s. I mean, all this was finished. Sex meant death at the time. So they had to reinvent a new way of seduction. And um, I got interested in that while I was doing a casting. And during that casting, where I photographed lots of people of becoming Afterwards, like Kate Moss, who, who were going to become um, iconic adults, but at that time she was 13 years old. Well, anyway, at that casting of my studio in Paris came a very tall, beautiful creature um, with long blonde hair in a mink coat and high heels. And she sat, I was doing castings uh, on, at my desk, and she sat at the other side of the desk and pulled out a photograph of her. And I was embarrassed because she wasn't talking and I was, you know, I was looking for androgynous people that day, not for, you know, a sort of a big sexual bomb or something. So I, I kept on trying to apologize and say, yes, leave me your photograph and we'll contact you for a further project. And she wasn't talking. Then after a minute, she burst out laughing. And she laughed with this very, very low voice. And she said, you really don't know who, what I am? And I said, no, you're not sorry, but, you know, I was beginning to be annoyed. I said, you're just not right for the project. And she said, but I'm not a woman. And that's how I met transgenders. That's how I met Kim, Kim Harlow. And I photographed Kim, and she was the spy in the Modern Lovers book because she was neither one nor the other. And so I started going out with her. We would go to bars and have drinks. And, and she said one day, you know, I, I love you for going out with me and for going shopping with me and buying shoes. Nobody wants to go out with me. People are okay to watch me in shows at night, but nobody would walk with me in the broad daylight. So what can I do for you? And I said, well, introduce me to your friends. So... We were on to the Bois de Boulogne. She was not there. She wasn't a prostitute. She was leading um, a show somewhere. But, but she introduced me to a lot of them. And I started taking their pictures. And then there was an exhibition. And the prints in black and white were very, very big, almost human size. And I remember, I will always remember... Uh, answering to your question about how did people react then. I remember people going around the gallery room and looking at those pictures and talking to themselves. And I could hear what they would say. You know, these women are weird. Usually she photographs more beautiful women and they're not famous. We don't know them. And all of a sudden, somebody realizes that they're not women. And people would flee away. They didn't want to look at that. Even... 
my my little group, the people who I trust the most, they wouldn't they wouldn't even want to look at that. They said, you know, oh, that's your thing. We're not interested. These are just drag queens. I said, no. I mean, these are transsexuals. They're not drag queens. And then I forgot about the whole thing. And 15 or 20 years later, um, a magazine asked me to republish these pictures, which had been published everywhere, in every country in the world, showed everywhere. So I said, you know, why not going to see what's happening now? So I opened a Facebook account and I put an ad on Facebook saying, you know, if you feel different, if you think you don't belong to a gender, a category, then, you know, send me a picture. And all of a sudden the studio was flowing in with pictures from all over the world. So we did the gender studies and that was beautiful. That was beautiful. And... I made a, we made a sound piece with it. Frederick Sanchez, who's our most brilliant person to make sound for fashion shows, um, help, came to record them. And we recorded them after the shoot. And, and they told us a lot about their lives. And it became a sound piece, which was together with the exhibitions. And it was beautiful. Right. You know, those two projects together kind of demonstrate how important photography can be in terms of, you know, people owning their identity and kind of um, feeling proud of who they are and being able to, you know, show the world that and present that to the world and be visible, you know, whereas many people overlooked. That's what we're supposed to do. You know, that's that's our mission. I mean, I told mm. you before, our mission is to open doors. The last work I did with the women in prison, that's when I thought I was making the most sense. You know, uh, spending an hour with each of these women who trying to open a window for them, uh, putting my camera, which has been focused for so many years on famous people and offering them this time, this attention, this care was was brilliant. I mean, let's come back to that project in more detail. You photographed, you took portraits in um, women's prisons across France. Um, you, there are sixty portraits in the final series, I think, of of these of these women inmates, which is a major major work um, and a kind of insight into into women in a in a way and in a part of society that we're completely, you know blinkered and shuttered off from what life is like for women who are in prison um I know that you kind of had a personal contact who kind of prompted you to do that project initially but how was it when you know the first time you went into the prison like did you feel afraid you know, some of these women have committed crimes and you know for whatever reason that that led them to commit those crimes um you know if you hadn't spent time in that kind of environment it might be quite intimidating I guess and how how did you find them in their relationship to their own kind of femininity? I mean, I guess each individual is different, but... First, I didn't want to do that. I've been almost forced by a man who's one of my mentors, who was the Minister of Justice in France decades ago, and he's the one who voted to ban the death penalty in France. So he's a very, very important man in our country. So then he convinced me to do it. And uh, and happened that day where I had to enter the prison for the first time. And this was 
this was awful and very scary. I was petrified. I hadn't slept for a week. I was so scared. My assistants were even more scared than me. So we started in Lyon, I think. And the four of us were standing at 7 a.m. in the morning in the cold in front of this terrible thing that said prison, detention, whatever. So the noise is what is the most scary. First, they take everything you have. They search for your equipment. I had 100 kilos of equipment. Everything had to be open. Then they take your phone. They take your keys. They take everything. And you're sort of almost naked. The only thing you still have on are your clothes. And, and you hear the noise of those grids, you know, those gates, you know, with a click and click and you go and you go on and on and you cross all these courtyards where men start to whistle because one of my assistants was very pretty. So, you know, they start to whistle and scream and you're still walking and you have to go to the back of the prison where these women, maybe 50 women or 30 women are locked up. Once we started, it felt very homey. I was scared of prison all my life. I've always thought I wanted to be free. You know, when I was 13 year old, I fled home and my parents and left because I wanted to be free. So the idea that women could be behind those bars and and it, it was very scary. Um, of course, the women I photographed were all of them criminals. Um, all of them were there for at least nine years and the most was like 25 years or 28 years. Being a woman in prison is even much more unfair than being a man because your children don't even come and see you anymore after a while. Your man or your husband or your boyfriend moves on to the next one. And you end up being very lonely and very, and 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 everybody forgets you, and you lose, you lose everything. You lose your femininity. You lose the idea of makeup. You lose. Who are you going to get ready for if nobody comes to look at you? Um, so I thought maybe I can render them, give them back some of this femininity that they were deprived of. And so my one of my assistants went to learn hair and makeup and uh, and she was, you know, she became the makeup artist. And so we went in to offer them a normal session, as close to a normal session as it can be. They had their hair done, they had makeup, I bought in some clothes. I am so used to having these intimate relationships with women that none of these women had ever talked about what they had done, not even to their cellmates. You know, you don't talk in prison because people come back at you if you talk. But they all spoke to me and sometimes it was terrifying. And sometimes I would just click and click and click. Of course, now with, you know, digital work, you can click. And I was just clicking to... To get rid of my fear, it was so eerie sometimes, so bizarre. But heavy as well, I imagine. It, it was heavy, but then it was light, and then we laughed, and we had fun, and we, you know, we held each other, and no, it was great. And you presented some of those images, I believe, at your retrospective that you had in 2016 at the MEP in Paris, and it was 
you know, it's fascinating that you kind of see those as in dialogue with the rest of your work and all your kind of explorations, the whole full spectrum of femininity and what it means to be a woman. And, you know, the crux of that prison project for me, um, what I find so, you know, revelatory about it really is the fact that, you know, this idea of the gaze itself and what that means to us as women and, and to our femininity, our understanding of ourselves, um, it's this great paradox, you know, that we need in some way to be looked at. And that's part of being a woman. Um, and that's very complicated as well, because it also brings a lot of the problems and a lot of the issues and of course. And, um, and a lot of the suffering, you know, the abuse, the harassment. But also if you're not looked at, that that kind of strips you in some way of your of your of your sense of self. Um, I mean, it's not only for women, of course, but I think for it has a particular we have a particular relationship to that Um gays you know as as women yeah i have a point it's exactly you're exactly pointing the purpose of what i've been doing for 40 years and i couldn't say it better it's it's about that it's about wanting to be looked at and i have to i want to ask you about your relationship with maria grazia as well you kind of share a vision uh, to an extent you know of seeing how complicated and how contradictory women can be but at the same time showing them as in control of their own destiny as you as you put it in your words what was it like to work with Maria Grazia and and how was that I have a lot of respect for that woman and a lot of respect for the choice she makes of other artists to work with to contribute to her fashion shows to contribute to her fashion work um I think she's She's an incredible person. I mean, she's strong, very strong, but she's gentle at the same time. She was there on that shoot I was doing with Leticia Casta. And, you know, when she came in, everybody got sort of freezed. And immediately I realized she understood everything that I was going to do before I did it. She was... She was brilliant because she had a vision that was so close to mine. Then when she came by the camera, she had understood it all. And after a while, she said, well, you know, keep on going without me. I'm going somewhere else, but I'm happy. But that's it. I love her. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a great, that's a great note to finish. I think, and yeah, I'm, you know, I'm understanding more and more about her vision through this and and the people exactly that she's works with. And it's, it's just amazing that I guess there's so few women like her, you know, to this point that are in those kind of roles that are, and are really, you know, she's genuinely a leader in her field. And as you have been in photography um, in the same way. So it's a brilliant meeting of minds. Do you have a favorite photographer? I just became a photographer. Although it's a strange word. We became a photographer after seeing in Germany, um, an exhibition of Diane Arbus, a woman photographer from the 60s, who has always been my icon. She's always been my idol. I mean, I just, I wish I had known her, but I've read everything she wrote and she wrote beautiful things on photography and on the relationship between the photographer and the model. And that has followed me. She was my role model. Bettina, thank you so much. Your razor sharp and, you know, I, I, I wish we had more time. It was fun in the middle of my country and my cows. A bientôt. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Au revoir. Au revoir.